Grab your Bibles and open up to Romans chapter 4. I was looking through some old notes of mine and I came across just some funny uh, news headlines, such as the one about an amazing race by Fuja Singh, a hundred years old, who finished Toronto's waterfront marathon securing his place in the Guinness World Records as the oldest person and the first centenarian to ever accomplish a run of that distance. Singh was a British citizen born in India, crossed the line in just over 8 hours, 11 minutes, and officially at least wasn't the last finisher. Four people were in a a group accompanying him, uh, were 1 to 10 seconds behind him, uh, seeing shows that his secret to his healthy life at a hundred years old is that he eats a diet of mainly tea, toast, and curry, and his training is to run about 10 miles a day. And at the time, he'd only taken up running 20 years earlier at the age of 80. So there's still hope for all of us, I think. Then, I don't have the picture to show you today, but there is one, if you Google it, of, of someone who would represent, so uh, Puja would have represented Abraham in our story today, the old man Abraham, and a lady from contemporary news representing Sarah would be Winnie Langley, who was an iron lung pensioner, had celebrated her 100th birthday by lighting up her 170,000th cigarette from the candle on her birthday cake. So one guy, curry and tea. One lady, make sure to have that few, few smokes a day. Uh, Abraham, you might think of him when you read of a 100-year-old man from Winnipeg just set a world record in the backstroke. His name was Jerring Timmerman. Uh, the only one swimming in the 100 to 104-year-old category. Uh, But the crowd cheered him on. He swam 100 meters in 3 minutes and 52 seconds, beating the old world record of just over 4.5 minutes. And then Sarah, also represented by Ruth Frith, a 100-year-old from Queensland, Australia, competing in the women's 75-plus shot put final at the World's Masters Games in Sydney Olympic Park. A golden girl, a great-grandmother of 11, won a gold medal at the World Sporting Event for the age class of 100 and 104-year-olds for her shot put throw of four meters. So you, you read these stories and you hear of Abraham and Sarah and you're like, Maybe all things are possible, you know. But both Abraham and Sarah from uh, Romans chapter 4 had their great accomplishments, but neither of them were able to have a child. And here in Romans chapter 4, Paul uses Abraham as a running buddy, you know, to kind of encourage us in our race and especially at the starting line of justification uh, by grace through faith. Abraham did three things we see in this chapter. He faced the facts. He looked to God and he looked to the fulfillment of the promise. 
And so we're looking at uh, verse 13 today. Now, last week, Pastor Chris taught verses 1 through 16. And as I was looking where to pick up at, uh, I just noticed like, man, there's just a big, long, run-on sentence at the end of this chapter. And I don't know where to start at. <laughs> I don't know where to finish at. And I mean, I'm going clear into chapter 5. I'm like, oh, Lord, where do I go? And I was telling my mom, like, I don't even know where to start here. She's visiting this week. And she said, uh, back the train up <laughs> is what she said. So that's what we're going to do. It's almost like, you know, we're at an old rail station and that train was coming in hot for a stop and then it just kind of missed the platform, you know, by about a hundred yards. And so today we're going to back that train up so we can hop on and then get going again. So we're going to pick up towards the end of Chris's sermon, but in verses 13 and on uh, as as we study. So verse 13 says, in uh, one thing that makes it hard is as you're studying the Bible and you come to the words for and the words therefore, like those are all connecting statements that just keep connecting you to what was written before and what was written before. And, and really we could go back to chapter one, verse one, uh, so that we really understand it all. But the main point of what Paul is saying to us is that um, we are all guilty of sin, whether you are an absolute pagan, you know, full of debauchery and sensuality and just paganism uh, and witchcraft and the occult, or whether you're just a super religious person that's polished on the outside and you seem to have just, you know, the, the, the white collar, slicked hair, polished shoes down, uh, but inside your heart, you're like full of a rotting corpse of dead men's bones. Jesus himself said that. And so chapters one, whether you're a pagan, chapter two, whether you're religious, chapter three, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're all guilty. And let's go back to kind of one of the patriarchs, Abraham, and see where he found his source of innocence and righteousness. It wasn't in his works. It wasn't in his ability, but it was in trusting in the Lord who is able and will do it. Okay. So that's chapter four. And so here we kind of pick up with even the word for, right? For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So there was a promise that Abraham would be the heir of the world. Let's look at some of these promises real quick. Genesis 12, 2 and 3 says, this is the Lord speaking to Abram. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, we just read in Romans that Abram would be the heir of the world. And so far, we just saw, I'll make you a nation. Well, that's big, but it's hardly the whole world, right? But then it kind of picks up a little bit more that the whole world is going to be blessed 
through you. Every family in the world is going to be blessed through you. So that kind of broadens it a bit, doesn't it? Now let's jump to Genesis 15. Kind of each one of these chapters in Genesis are these big covenant encounters where God makes just incredible promises to Abraham. In Genesis 15 verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one, Ishmael, shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So he kind of makes it a little more broad that you're going to have so many kids. It's going to be more than the stars in the galaxy, right? And this is a key verse here in Genesis 15, verse six, might even be your memory verse for the week. It's going to be shown in Romans today. And he believed in the Lord, or he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So God made a promise that was completely outside of Abraham's ability, but Abraham believed that God was able to do it. And and because of his faith in God's ability, uh, it was placed, uh, righteousness was placed into Abraham's account. It was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. <clears throat> and then another uh, Genesis 17, 1. And by the way, these promises are without any conditions or requirements attached to it. It's just the grace of God coming to Abraham and just pouring out blessing on him. God's word came to Abraham as a promise. It didn't come to Abraham as a law or full of a lot of conditions. Abraham simply believed God at his promise and was justified. Hopefully that's an old word for you now. You've been coming to Calvary Chapel two, three weeks. You've heard the word justified so many times. We've done the fun little kid cliche justified just as if i'd never sinned in my whole life before that's what it means to be justified and so uh you're like oh i'm so familiar with this justified territory roar it's it's old ground to me well in genesis 17 when abraham was uh still called abram at this point 99 years old so hence all the fun centenarian um stories at the beginning of the sermon today The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. So we see this heir of the world. It's expounding, right? How much uh, just relationship he'll have uh, to the whole entire world. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. So how is he the heir of the world? Well, people, nations, kings now are going to come out of his lineage And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. I uh, also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession. So it kind of gets narrow again to like the land of Canaan, which is uh, 
really the land of Israel, uh, maybe a little bigger than what we know today. Um, but also then it's broadened out again to show how long that's going to be his. And it's everlasting. 2023? Still counts in the everlasting category, just in case you're wondering. Um, and then look at Genesis twenty two seventeen, the last Genesis passage here. Blessing, I will bless you and multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand, which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies in your seed. All of the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. And so the promise to Abraham uh, of this heir of the world uh, goes to his children too, his, you know, his, his fruit of his loom, you know, uh, to Isaac, to Jacob. Okay. Uh, it, it goes to anyone Galatians tells us who would believe in Abraham will be blessed by Abraham's seed. And it's important to know the missionary heart of God is found in these passages where we see all of the nations, all of the families, all of the people groups, and, and the language can be funneled down to even the smallest family entity, all families. So why don't you put your last name in that category? The Rogers, the Papinaws, all the way through this room, the McKinnons, the Binders, we're just going through. Enter, enter your name in there. Your family will be blessed by the seed of Abraham. And Galatians tells us that that seed is Jesus. The one who would come from Abraham will bless every family uh, in the earth. So uh, this land that Abraham would inherit, uh, it just spreads out widely to the whole world and has a messianic connotation to it, which means it's really speaking of Jesus inheriting the whole world, ruling from the throne of David in Israel. And everybody who believes upon him will be blessed by his, uh, by his rule. Uh, but we see that this promise that he'd be the heir of the world back in Romans 4 was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law. Chris taught on this last week that the law wouldn't even be given for another four. And the Bible actually says it in Galatians 3.17 the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed. Okay, so we're going to get there in a second to that Galatians verse. But the Bible even tells us the law was 430 years after Abraham. And so that promise that he'd be the heir of the world, it wasn't given through the law. There was no law. Think about what happened in our history 430 years ago. You know, what are we, what are we talking about? You know, the 1600 somethings, you know, like, I mean, that was the dark ages pretty much. That's like Robin Hood, men in tights and all the, I don't even know what was going. That was so, that such a vast historical difference that it's the same thing with the promise of God to Abraham that was just based upon the grace of God had nothing to do with the law that would come so long afterwards. Okay. But the promise was through, it says there in 413, the righteousness of faith. And so that memory verse that we ought to have, Genesis 15, 6. And, you know, I was thinking this morning, I think I was brushing my teeth. Yep, brushing my teeth is what I was doing. I was like, all them Awana kids are just memorizing scriptures left and right. Why don't we start doing that, huh? Here's your memory verse for the day. Genesis 15, 6. 
And he believed in the Lord and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Throw that one back at Satan any time he tries to condemn you for not measuring up by all of your works and labors. Just be, you know what, Satan? Genesis 15, 6. And Abram believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. I just believe in Jesus. And it's accounted to me for righteousness too. Ding! You know, give him a little attitude. Why not? Okay. Now, in these verses... The apostle Paul, in this verse and then the ones to come, you're going to see what Stott called a profusion of words, okay? Law, promise, faith, wrath, transgression, grace. Each one of these terms has their own logic, and we want to be careful not to confuse the categories that each one of those words would fall under, okay? Uh, Law and promise belong to different categories of thought. Uh, And they're incompatible categories, Stott says. Uh, The law language, which says you shall, that's law, demands our obedience. So that falls under this category. Law, you must, you shall, okay? Um, But promise language over in this category has the phrase, I will. The Lord will do it. Over here, you must do it. Over here, I'll just go ahead and take care of it for you. All right? That's the promise category. It demands our faith. And what God said to Abraham was not, obey this law and I'll bless you, but rather, I will bless you. Now believe in my promise. Now let's go on in our text today. 14. For if those who are of the law are heirs, Faith is made void and the promise is made of no effect. Okay, so we we already just established that Abraham was made an heir of the world, not because of the law. And we'll go to Galatians 3 right now. Remember the law, which was 430 years later, it can't annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it would make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it's no longer a promise. So remember the two categories I was talking about? Galatians speaks to that as well. Um, if it was of the law, then, the, then it's not promise, okay? And it cancels out the promise. Um, for me, you know, my mind works like, you know, a big rubber stamp with a red word that says vetoed or annulled or strike through, double strike through, you know, and what we're reading about the promise of God's grace to Abraham, if it was based on Abraham's performance, denied, void, annulled, double strike through, okay? Um, but it's, it's not according to law. It was according to promise. If it was according to law, then faith is emptied of its validity is what void means. And faith Faith doesn't matter. Faith is made of no effect is the phrase that's used right here, which means it's destroyed. Faith is destroyed, rendered useless or ineffective. If it was based upon our performance, then faith would have no importance. Now back to Galatians again, and you might find that Galatians is a really good partner to the book of Romans in so many ways. We'll be referencing Galatians a lot in the next year. But Galatians 2.21 says, I do not set aside the grace of God, 
For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And so remember the, the categories. We got law, you must do this, you've got to perform. Okay, over here we got promise, I will do it. Have faith in me, believe in me, okay? So Paul says in Galatians, he says, man, if we could be made right before God just by doing works, to the Jew it was the law. To us, it would be all sorts of other laws that we'd come up with, um, even the law of conscience, okay? Um, but if we could do that, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die, okay? And, and so, man, what a great insult to God the Father, to God the Son, to spit in their face and say, we never needed you in the first place because I'm an American, I vote red, I brush my teeth twice a day, you know, Uh, I'm a part of the community chamber of commerce, you know, I volunteer at the soup kitchen, and because I do all of that, it was a big waste of time for Jesus to come because behold your Messiah. Okay. All right. Uh, and so Paul just says, man, then Jesus died in vain. It was, and so do you get that it's all kind of rhetorical that you're not all that in a bag of potato chips? Nobody in history has been. And so God had to come in the flesh and lay down his life for us so that we could be saved. Okay. All right. Still hear some wheels turning out there. A couple crickets, but not too many. Okay. Uh, Look at verse 15, because the law brings about wrath for where there is no law, there is no transgression. So when you see a no fishing sign, what do you automatically want to do? Go fish, right? All right. When you see a wet paint, don't touch sign, what do you automatically want to do? Touch the paint, right? Okay. What'd you say? Sit down in it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Have your friends sit in it. Yes. Prank somebody, right? Uh, this makes me think about, so we've lived in our community up on yellow pine up in Northridge for like 13 years. Okay. And it's just such a wonderful neighborhood, kind of big lots. People love to walk those streets. Yellow pine park is up there. There's this little old man years ago that used to walk the streets and he'd all every day he'd wear a gray jumpsuit, you know, sweatsuit, sweatpants and a big, um, ski cap, big earmuffs and big ski gloves. And he'd just walk. And he just walked and he just walked. People love to walk that area. And the lot next to our house used to not have a house on it. So out of our kitchen window, we have a beautiful view of Barnes Butte and the whole, you know, what's a walking trail system now and everything. But we used to have even from our kitchen, this Northern rim rocks up there by Barnes Butte reservoir that we could see from our kitchen table. Just so great. And, uh, I used to park my truck in that lot sometimes, uh, to let the window defrost from the sunshine. And one day, uh, an officer that went to our church knocks on the door. Says, oh, Rory, I didn't know you lived here, but hey, whoever owns this lot is asked that you don't park there. I'm like, oh yeah, sure, no problem. You know, didn't mean to offend, uh, you know. And uh, and then time went on, and these owners decided, hey, we're gonna build on this land. And uh, and there was a trail that went right through this land down to Barnes Butte Reservoir, and people would just walk that trail all the time. That's how they'd access uh, the land down there. There's the 
world famous fishing, you know, the state record bass and bluegill came out of the fishing pond down there. People just walking all the time. The high school track team got chased by the cops out of there and ran up the trail by our house. One, you know, lots of action on that trail going through this lot. Well, our neighbors were just like, man, you know what? We're going to build on this and we're kind of afraid that people are going to get hurt and then sue us. So they got ropes and they roped off their land with a couple of ropes and put just like three or four signs on the street front that said, no trespassing, you know, no trespassing. And I'll just tell you, the amount of traffic that went on that trail just increased exponentially, just like more and more people. Well, then it became this like feud between the landowners and the people that were walking in the neighborhood and he'd hide behind a big rock there and jump out with his camera and take pictures and they'd come running out. And so the whole neighborhood was all bitter at my neighbors and, and I'm just like, Hey, I moved my truck, you know? Um, (laughs) and, and one day I'm loading something in our car and I hear this and I look over And that little old man who always walked the neighborhood wearing the gray sweatsuit with the ski gloves and everything, he's climbing through the ropes and he's stuck in the ropes and he gets out, you know, and I go, whoa, hey, are you okay? And he goes, I never wanted to go down onto that land until they put these signs up. And now I just got to go down there and see, see what it is, you know? And it's just a great picture of the law provokes to wrath right? And, and Romans will say this later on in chapter seven, that our sin is so sinful that it takes something that's good. Like the law is good. Okay. It's a good thing that they said, Hey, we don't want anyone to get hurt. We're going to put these signs up. This is our land. We want to start utilizing good things. Um, but our sin is so sinful. It takes what's good. And even is from God and uses it as a high dive jumping platform to just plunge into all manner of evil and sin and wrath of the Lord comes upon us, uh, because of that. And so, uh, and so he just says here in Romans chapter four, that the law does not bring about salvation, but for the third week, we would reference Galatians that says the law is a tutor or a teacher that shows us, see how wicked you are. <clears throat> You've just been walking this street the whole time and now you got to climb through there <clears throat> and cause a bunch of problems in your neighborhood. You know, the law shows us, uh, see how wicked you are. You know, um, I told you not to steal, cheat, covet, lie, or commit adultery. And now that you know you're not to do that, now you're just diving right into it. That's how sinful we are. And so verse 16 says, therefore, it is a faith. It's a faith that it might be according to grace. So these are all words that would go down this other column over here of God's promise. God will do it. Have faith in his grace, okay? So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Now it's important to note here for those of you that are theologically minded, that faith is not a work, okay? Faith is not a merit, a meritorious work 
that we have done, that we glory in to receive salvation. There are many, what I might call hyper-Calvinists or hyper-Reformed people that hear verses such as Romans 4 and Galatians and Genesis 15, 6, and they'll say, they'll say, I'm so wicked, I can't even believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. That's when you start getting into all the Calvinistic doctrine and so far to where it's, my total depravity is so depraved that I have to be saved first before I can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a whole rabbit hole. If you've never fallen down into it, just stay away from it, okay? All right, it's good to think about the salvation of the Lord, but just kiss method today, everybody, right? Keep it simple, stupid, okay? Start going down that road and then you get into the cage stage, all right? And it is not pretty. Your teeth come out, all right? But what happens is uh, they begin to think of faith as a meritorious work. And because I've believed in Jesus, I've earned my salvation because I've believed, okay? And, And that would be misunderstanding what faith is, okay? Faith is simply allowing yourself to be rescued, okay? It's simply just realizing I'm dead and I need a savior and I'm just falling upon the savior. All right. Now we know, we do know that in the, under the umbrella of God's salvific will, he's the initiator. He's the caller. He's the elector. He's the predestiner. We believe in all those things. And yet in the mystery of it all, somehow we have a responsibility to yield to him. Okay. To believe upon him. And it's not a work that is meritorious, okay? Faith, hope, trust, belief, it's not considered a labor by scripture. One can believe in the saving, rescuing work of God and it protects grace as still being the unearned favor of God. And so uh, this verse here, 16, reads literally, Therefore, by faith, in order that according to grace, it's actually because of faith that it is still going to be according to grace. That's how Romans puts it. That just solidifies and builds up uh, that truth that we must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if it wasn't based on our belief, then it wouldn't be according to the grace of God. Okay. Uh, Here's what Stott says. The fixed point is that God is gracious and that salvation derives from his sheer grace alone. But in order that this may be so, our human response can only be faith. Okay. Can only be faith for grace gives and faith takes faith's exclusive function is humbly to receive what grace offers. A friend of mine, uh, Chris Elliott, is a good friend of both Chris and mine, uh, was a surfer in uh, Oregon. Now he lives Texas and East Coast now, all over the place. Um, but he would just surf all the time. And one day he got kind of washed out into the ocean and just couldn't get back in. And he was at the end of himself and he just felt like he was about to drown when he looks and he sees a Coast Guard vessel right next to him to save his life. And essentially, that Coast Guardsman, I don't know exactly how it worked, but let's just say, put his arm down, and all that Chris could do was let him take him. 
You know, maybe faith is something like grabbing a hold, right? Through belief. And the Bible talks a lot about clinging to, right? Clinging to Jesus. All, I mean, you're dead. You're dead man, right? There's not, you don't get to brag. And there I was dying, you know? And I totally saved myself. It's like, really? That's funny because um, word on the street is that you were dying and someone else saved you. Okay, you get what I'm saying here? Picking up, stepping in what I just laid down for you? Okay. Um, and then Stott goes on to say, God's law makes demands which we transgress so we incur wrath. So that's that category over here. God's grace makes promises which we believe and so we receive blessing. Thus, Law, obedience, transgression, and wrath belong in one category of thinking, while grace, promise, faith, and blessing belong to another. This is the argument from language and logic, okay? If you feel like you're about to blow a gasket in your brain today, try preaching it, okay? (sighs) All right, it's just tough. It's tough stuff, and so I just encourage you, Hebrews talks about, like, it's time to move on past the elementary principles of our faith. This ain't Sunday school anymore, friends. Like, it's time to get deep and know the deep stuff so that we can worship him deeply for how wonderful he is to us, right? Now, it goes on to say in verse 16, it says, So that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So we see that it's by God's grace through the conduit of faith. And this keeps the guarantee of the promise secure. Charles Spurgeon said, grace and faith are congruous and will draw together in the same chariot. But grace and merit are contrary the one to the other, and they pull opposite ways. And therefore, God has not chosen to yoke them together. Charles Hodge said this. Man, Charles Hodge, you guys, have been reading him. So good and easy at times. And then the guy knows like six languages, and he writes it out in the other language in his company. How do you relate? Any relation, Ira? I was thinking of you. I was like, this guy's related to this guy, Ira Hodge. Okay. Hodge says, if salvation be in any form or to any degree dependent on the merit, the goodness, or the stability of man, it never can be sure. Nay, it must be utterly unattainable. Unless we are saved by grace, we cannot be saved at all. To reject, therefore, a gratuitous salvation is to reject the only method of salvation available to sinners. And so I was getting home from the gym this week and walking up and there was someone parked like in my driveway, not in it, but like in front of my driveway sideways, like, and I thought it was one of Russell's friends come to hang out. It was a car I didn't recognize. And he was, he was in, in front of my parking spot. So I was a little, that's cool. If it was one of Russell's friends, I'd, I'm like, oh, silly little guy. He's going to get a wedgie, but he's silly, you know, you know, and uh, so I'm like, oh, I'll pull in Lindsay's spot. She's at work. And as I get, I saw them get out of the car and I knew right away it was a Jehovah's Witness. Okay. And so, uh, you know, so often it's like, I really don't have time for this. You know, on the one hand, I want to be an evangelist. I want to share the hope of the gospel. They need Jesus. They need salvation and all of that. On the other hand, 
I've been in enough conversations to know it's a little bit of the casting the pearls before swine. And so you really got to be led by the Holy Spirit, okay? Most of the time, the Holy Spirit leads me to not answer the door when they're... I'm just being honest with you, okay? Um, but I just turn around and they begin to make small talk. And I was just friendly, you know, talking... And then they often do, you know, because they're big about the kingdom of God. And so, you know, hey, you might notice that the world's, you know, looking really crazy right now. And is there any hope? And I'm like, man, you're on the right track, baby, tonight, you know. <laughs> but the problem is, and then and I just said, hey, because they said, do you think there's any hope? They said, hey, I'm, they said, they're Bible students. And I said, I'm also a Bible student. In fact, I'm a pastor of a church here in town. And I just tell you right now, you know it and I know it, we have as just drastically different views and understandings and beliefs on the most important part of our faith. And that is that Jesus is not an angel, he's not a created being, but he's God. Well, we believe he's the son of God, yeah. And John knew it, Jesus knew it, and the whole early church knew that that meant that he was God. In fact, John even says, so they killed Jesus because in saying he was the son of God, he was claiming to be God. And it was like... You know, it's like, and I just said, I'm just sorry, but that's the hill I'll die on. I will die for that belief. And then, you know, it's just kind and stuff, but it's like, and then I'm all day, I'm like, oh, was I too mean? And I just should have just like welcomed a man. You know, oh, it's just, Lord, I just want to be just the aroma. I want to be the aroma, which also smells like death to those that are perishing. <sighs> And, and I just went to Galatians, which is a companion book to this, where Paul says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you would believe another gospel, which is not another gospel? And the Lord just reminded me, like, they're nice that we often say of the cults, and I'm going to call them cults, they're sincere but they're sincerely wrong. And I told them that you're very sincere. You're very kind. If you were just a counselor out there in the world, you'd be a nice, just counsel. You're counseling, right? But someone's bewitched them and, and now they're going out and they're preaching a false gospel that's based upon works, merits, what you can do. And it ends in wrath. And the difference is, is that the gospel that we bring through Jesus Christ God who had to die for us because no other flesh could do it, okay? God who had to die for us and now is worthy of worship. No angel is worthy of worship. Read your Bible, okay? Who's, who is so perfect in works that his blood is able to atone for the sins of the world. That Jesus brings this category of grace, that's received through faith that is a promise based on his works and it ends in eternal life for all who would believe. Okay. So I don't even know how I got there. I think it was in my notes. Okay. Oh yeah. Charles Hodge, right? Where he just said to reject a gratuitous salvation is to reject the only method of salvation available for sinners. So to roll up, and you got little tricks. You do it when the husband's away, the wife's there. In our case, it's reversed, right? And you park in my driveway like you're my friend, you know, and, and then you come and you bring just as much a deceptive message 
that sucks people in and the whole time you're sincere, but you're sincerely wrong and you're rejecting the gratuitous salvation. It's the only way to be saved. And my friends, it's 10 o'clock. Made it halfway through my notes on what I was attempting to get through today. It's those stories that'll kill you. Oh, and then there was a walking path and a guy and his blah, 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 blah. And the Lord's like, why don't you just stick to the book, Einstein? That's a really good question. Let's have the worship team come on up. On the plus side, next week's sermon is ready. So... All right. Hey, how about Seth, huh? How old are you, Seth? 15 15 years old. Yeah, I I didn't even see him until like the last song. And I was like, that's Seth, right? How about Joy, everyone? Joy. (laughs) Just kidding. Russell? I don't know. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Here's what Johnny's in there teaching the middle schoolers, and he's like, Rory never ends at 10 o'clock. He always powers through and does a whole other week's worth of notes. Not today, not today. Hey, will you guys stand with me and set things aside? And I'll close with this thought. Uh, man, the this message right now, you guys, this is uh, this is like it. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is how people go to heaven or hell. This is it. Like the most important message in the entire world. And what are you going to do with it? And this morning I was like, man, it'd be really great if some people that came today believed in this and got saved. And then like a little bit of my heart was like, but they won't. Because like the treats of the world are just so tasty. And the... The promises of like comfort and luxury and no commitment and, you know, just keep living however you want to live and deal with it later. Like that's really like where people just, they're like, I can, I can jive with that. And I just was reading um, in a commentary and I didn't see how it fit with this text, but it fits what I'm thinking right now, where Charles Spurgeon says, I do not think we shall have many conversions unless we expect God to bless the word and feel certain that he will do it. We must not wonder and be astonished if we hear of a dozen or two conversions, but let the astonishment be that thousands are not converted when they hear such divine truth. And when we ask the Holy Spirit to attend it with divine energy, God will bless us in proportion to our faith. It is the rule of his kingdom. According to your faith, let it be unto you. Oh God, give thy ministers more faith. And let us believe thee firmly. It's Charles Spurgeon. And so will you Christians here today just believe with me that God will save people who walked in the doors today? And have heard of such a gratuitous salvation, which is the only way for sinners to be saved. Will you believe that that message of the gospel, that it is the power of God into salvation with me, and that people will get saved here in this place today? We'll rejoice in that. And so if that's you today, and you walked through the doors, not born again, not completely surrendered to the category of 
promise, grace, trust, believe in him, and everlasting life. Today, will you let the Lord move you into that category? And will you believe Jesus for everlasting life? Will you trust in him, rest in him, say yes to him so that everything that you know he brings to you, you're not going to doubt or waver just as if he was saying, hey, you're a hundred years old, you're going to have a baby. You would be able to say, amen, let it happen, do it. And today you would hear, hey, the way you've been doing it will lead you to hell. You're resting in all of your own works and good days and bad days. And at the end of the day, you hope that it was better than, than your bad. And you're resting in all of that. That's according to the law. That's according to your performance. It's in the, you're in the wrong category. But today you can say, Lord Jesus, I trust in you. I don't even know all that that means, except that it means that I've got nothing and you got everything. That you've got purity and holiness and righteousness for me. That you want to make it just as if I never sinned before. And I can just rest in your perfection. I can rest in your obedience. I can rest that you've done it and you're going to do it. Change my life to reflect that. And we will all rejoice. And Lord, just arm us with this gospel so that when the people come to the door or we're on the team with the people and we begin talking about such things that we would believe this is a gospel we're sharing and knowing it well so that we can speak it and we can know that this is worth dying for because it's the only thing where there's life. Let's worship the Lord together with this last song. So Lord, we just sing those lyrics out to you. Who else could buy our pardon? Who else would just come in and die for us? And we just are finding in your word that it's just the holy God. Um, not only was it necessary, but you delighted in this rescue plan and it brings you great glory. And so as we're going to see in part two next week, it was something that Abram gloried in you, worshipped you for. And we just join that as our understanding is brought in to know it ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we hope you'll stick around for uh, about 20 minutes and have some donuts with us and get to know people and come be a part of the family. And uh, God bless you guys. Get signed up for home group and come to the meet and greet lunch and all the things and have a great Sunday.